we'd like to welcome you back to part two of our current event and weekly Bible study for February 4th, 2019. And this is just, uh, I'm, I kind of meant to put this on back on the back end of my last study. And it's just, I posted my teaching entitled The Biblical Keys to Answered Prayer. I did this all the way back in 2006, which this must have been one of the first studies I ever released. And um, I'll just read you the table of contents. It, it relates to what we just heard about the house of mourning and the audio that I just played for my listener, John. This Bible study was inspired when one of my email subscribers asked me if I thought God still heard our prayers anymore. Now, because because the substance of this teaching is not being preached in the vast majority of modern-day churches, the body of Christ has suffered greatly regarding answered prayer. We, we will be looking at the meaning of secret sins and presumptuous faults, and the Bible the Bible mentions in Psalm 19, 12-14. We will explore why the Bible says sorrow is better than laughter, and the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, which we're going to do an expansion on what John was just in reference to. Now, I, I've, I'm pretty sure I've covered this in other teachings, but this is a dedicated study. And also, why is it good to receive the rebuke of the wise? And why the Lord said, but to this man will I look, even to him that is of a poor and contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. And why the Lord Jesus Christ sends trials into our lives. And why we grow the deepest roots in the valleys, not on the mountaintops. I will also, I mean, you ever see trees grow up, uh, big trees growing up on mountaintops? I mean, if they're, if they're at a certain height, they cannot grow up there. Okay, because they can't take root. Whereas you, 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 if a plant's growing in a valley, it can put down deep roots. And that's where you actually grow. And the valleys are the trials. And that's where you grow is when we're in the trials. We don't tend to grow when we're on the mountaintops because everything's great when you're on the mountaintop. Is the, that's the point I'm trying to make. Anyway, I will be giving my personal testimony regarding these points just mentioned. Okay, now we're going to get into the Bible study uh, on Ezekiel 8 and 9 that I told you about. And this is, I entitled this, God's judgment on the wicked and those that turn their backs on him and his protection over his remnant. Ezekiel 8 9 Bible study. Ezekiel 8 1. And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in mine house, and the elders of Judah sat before me, that the hand of God, the hand of the Lord God, fell there upon me. And this is Ezekiel talking. Then I beheld, in the likeness as the appearance of fire, from the appearance of his loins even downward, fire, and from his loins even upward, as the appearance of brightness, as the color of amber. And he put forth the hand and took me by a lock of mine head. And the spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven. And he brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem. To the door of the inner gate that look, looketh toward the north. Now this is the door of the inner gate of the temple. The, the, the temple that you know David had originally. Well, Solomon and, and David. You know, that whole thing there where David wanted to build the temple but he had shed too much blood so solomon got the commission anyway uh so to the door of the inner gate which looketh toward the north where was the seat of the image of jealousy which provoketh to jealousy now i'm going to be commenting along the way so you understand what we're talking about here uh, this is a commentary from a from a I guess a pastor named Adam Clark on this particular verse, the Ezekiel 8:3, what we just read. This image of jealousy, 
We do not know certainly of what form this image was, nor what God it represented. Some say it was of the image of Baal, some in, which was placed there, which was placed in the temple by Manassas. Others that it was the image of Mars, and others that it was the image of Tammuz or Adonis. Calmet, another author, supports this opinion by the following reasons. Means he supports the opinion that it was either Tammuz or Adonis, because the name agrees perfectly with him he was represented by as a beautiful youth beloved by venus at which mars her paramour meaning her lover being incensed and filled with jealousy sent a large boar against adonis which killed him with his tusks you ever hear of oh he's an adonis well that's where the term comes from you know He's an Adonis. He's a really good-looking dude. He's, you know, well, it comes from this particular, you know, God, small g, Adonis, which is the same thing as Tammuz, as we're going to see. Funny enough, um, Mars, the god Mars, the god of war, being incensed and filled with jealousy, sent a large boar against Adonis, which killed him with his tusks. Hence, it was the image of him who fell a victim to jealousy. So this is this is why... This image that God is in reference to in Ezekiel 8.3, which wears the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoke, which provoke it to jealousy. Also, here's another further comment. And these are all things that I think the Lord was just showing me along the way as I was researching this, because I, I compiled and cobbled this all together when I'm reading you right now. Tammuz died in his 40th year while boar hunting in the spring. Okay, Tammuz is the original... This is the original pagan trinity, Semiramis, Nimrod, Tammuz in Babylon. This is this is where all of the modern day false pagan trinity religions spawn from. Babylon, the original Babylon. Okay, Nimrod, Semiramis. We're talking going all the way back to right after you know Ham, Noah, Japheth, the whole nine yards, and and, and Shem. This is when the world was being repopulated again. Tammuz died in his 40th year while boar hunting in the spring. In honor of him, the people mourned his death each spring for 40 days. One day for each year of his life. Hmm, what's that? It's Lent, what the Catholics celebrate, which means 40th in Latin. The word Lent means 40th, meaning 40th, basically 40th birthday. Okay. Um, or he was 40 years old. That's what Lent means. It's 40 days, but it was because Tammuz died when he was 40. Lent is a solemn religious observance in the pseudo-Christian liturgical calendar that begins on Ash Wednesday. This is, and this is most likely, you know, most most of the time you think of Lent and Catholics, but there's other supposed pseudo-Christian religions that celebrate it too. Uh, this this begins on Ash Wednesday. And ends approximately six weeks later before uh, before Easter Sunday. Ishtar Sunday. The purpose of Lent is the preparation of the pagan believer. This is the original purpose of Lent. Is the preparation of the pagan believer for Ishtar or Easter. Because Easter has nothing to do with the, you know, resurrection of Christ. Has nothing to do with that whatsoever. It literally changes by up to a, a month almost a month every year it's determined through astrology on whenever it's like the second sunday after ostara which is determined through astrology which is forbidden okay 
That's how they determine it every year. If it was, if it was the date of the resurrection of Christ, why would the date ever change? It would not change. It'd be like a birthday. It'd be on the same day every day. That's why Christmas, which is the birth date of the sun god Tammuz, as we'll see, that's the same day every year because it's not going to ever vary. It's always March 25th. Has nothing to do with the birth of Christ. The purpose of Lent is the preparation of the pagan believer for Ishtar or Easter through prayer, doing penance, mortifying the flesh, repentance of sins. It's all earning your way into whatever they, wherever they say you're going to go. Alms giving and self-denial. After the 40-day fast, because you do, you do, what do you, I always, I always use it as a joke. When somebody will say something like, they'll be like, um, uh, do you want, um, here, you want some ketchup or something? You're at a table. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I gave it up for Lent. <laughs> I know, and I'll say it, I'll say it like, you know, when it's not even Lenten season and it's just, I like, I like sarcastic humor. Good, clean, punny. Get it? Pun? Punny? Sarcastic humor. I, I do that all the time. Anyway, um, but yeah, that this this is your 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 this is the forty day fast. You give up stuff for forty days. Okay, you're doing it to honor Tammuz, even though they say you're doing it probably for Jesus. I don't know. Um, a joyful feast of Ishtar after the forty day fast. A joyful feast of Ishtar or Easter took place at this feast. Colored eggs were exchanged and eaten as a symbol of the death and resurrection of Tammuz in the spring crops. <laughs> Not the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What do colored eggs have to do and rabbits have to do with Jesus Christ? Well, it has nothing to do. It was, the, it was about the birth. It was about the fertility goddess Ishtar, which is where we get the word Easter from. And when you have a fertility goddess being celebrated... The reason that bunny rabbits are incorporated is because they are the fastest procreating mammal on the planet. Bunny rabbits. They breed like rabbits. You know, you ever heard that expression? Well, that's why. Because it's all about fertility. What are eggs? They're a symbol of fertility. I've done whole study. Just key in Ishtar or Easter in the keyword search box. It can any for truth. Or, or Valentine's Day, which is coming up. Or Christmas or Halloween or any of the pagan holidays that we've got anyway uh let's see here so let me just read that again because this, this is just we're, we're just the, the church itself is so deceived overall at this feast colored eggs were exchanged and eaten as a symbol of the death and resurrection of tammuz in the spring crops <laughs> a feast of ham symbolizing the victory over the boar that killed tammuz was then enjoyed by all so this is why they eat ham. Because it's a symbol of overcoming the boar that killed Tammuz. And also, coincidentally enough, a boar killed Adonis. Because see, all of these pagan trinities are always just repackaged and carried. They're just different time references and frames. See, the first pagan trinity was Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz. Tammuz was the child, Semiramis was the mom, and um, Nimrod was the dad. Okay, but then you carry it forward another time frame into, I don't know, maybe Greek or um, Peloponnesian or whoever. Okay, then you might have Adonis and his mom and whoever. Okay, I don't have all of those memorized because there's so many of them, but they're just different pagan trinities repackaged. 
And what the Zeitgeist movie does is it tries to say, see, Jesus and the Father and, and, and the Holy Ghost, that's just the pagan trinity, just repack. No, don't try to include that in on it because Satan is a counterfeiter and all he's trying to do is knock off the real trinity and put in his pagan trinity because he's a counterfeiter. And if you don't believe that, just key in Zeitgeist at the keyword search box. That was one of the earliest studies I ever did too. And we thoroughly debunked that. That was so easy. That was really big for a time. I'm, I'm sure it still is in certain circles anyway. Uh, let's see. So yeah, a feast of ham. Symbolizing victory over the boar. The kill Tammuz was in Jobal. Finally, cakes marked with the letter T to remind everybody that we're celebrating this for Tammuz were baked and eaten. And these are the Catholic hot cross buns. Okay, so all the stuff that the Catholics do overtly are totally 100% pagan. They literally took one of the Ten Commandments out, which is the one about not bowing yourself down to idols. They took that one out, and I think they split the Ninth Commandment in two, so they still have Ten Commandments, but they took the one about idolatry out of there. Because that's, the, what is Catholicism? It's idolatry. Oh, I got my, I, I was hearing the other day, Roger Stone, he was talking about how he was thrown in jail. I, they took my St. Michael's, I pray to St. Michael's and I pray to God. And I'm like, oh Lord, I'm like, please show Roger Stone that there's no place in the Bible that says we should pray to St. Michael. And our, our and how is, how is Roger's prayers going to be heard when he's literally bowing down to an idol? You know, but that's all he knows. And, and so, you know, these people need to be prayed for that they, that they're shown, you know, that their prayers are most likely not being heard. They're being destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's a great example of Satan getting an advantage of people, the Catholic religion, because they think that they're, they're Christians and they're literally pagans. They're in a pagan religion that has a form of godliness, but denies the power thereof. So I'm not, and again, I'm not judging. It's all they've known. Listen, I went to a Catholic high school. You know, my mom was raised Catholic. My grandma was staunchly Catholic. I've been around a lot of Catholicism. Know a little bit about it. So, but they're very, very hard to reach. Those spirits are very strong in Catholicism, but I, I do believe that, you know, through God, all things are possible. So going further, um, that the worship of Nimrod and Semiramis is the origin of all pagan systems on earth is well-documented by Alexander Hyssop's book, The Two Babylons. Now, when I first got saved, I remember I was being told, man, this book is, read this book. Now, it's it's a hard read. If you read it, it's a hard read. It's not like, uh, I don't know. There's just something about it that is not, it's not a fun read. I'm just warning you if you get it. It's very good, the information, but it's uh, it's a hard read. But, is considered like the gold standard on if you want to know about the origin of all pagan systems, that is the book. Other names for Tammuz. Osiris is the, and um, uh, the, um, his mother was Isis. So these are different repackaged forms of the pagan trinity now, now the difference between the pagan trinity from a uh, i mean there's a gigantic difference obviously but the real trinity if you want to call it that or the godhead whatever you want to call it god the father god the son god the holy spirit okay the pagan trinity is they have 
dad, mother, and child. So you have the goddess in there. You always have the goddess in there. And this is why Catholics key so heavily on Mary because she's their goddess. She's the, she's the, the mediatrix between you and Jesus. The only way you can get to Jesus is through this mediator or this mediatrix, Mary, because she's the only one that can calm her furious son down, Jesus, on the throne. That's the way he's portrayed in the Baltimore Catechism. That's the way Catholics are taught. You got to go through Mary to get to Jesus. So you're not even praying to Jesus. You're going, you got to go through Mary to get to his son, which is totally beyond unbiblical. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You go straight to Jesus as a real Christian. So Catholics do all the stuff that because they haven't studied the word of God and they have a they have a corrupted Bible, but even in their corrupted Bible, they, they should be able to figure this out. But it's a spell. It's a spirit over these people that's blinded to them that they can't see. Just like there's a spirit over the Jews now collectively that they cannot see. And the Bible is very, very clear on that. You know, in uh, Romans. So, Adonis is another name for Tammuz. His mother was Venus. Krishna is another name for Tammuz. With the Hinduism, his mother was Devaki. Isara is another name for Tammuz. Mother was Isi. Diosis was um, another name for Tammuz. Mother was Sibeli. Platus is another name for Tammuz. Mother was Irene. These are all different, uh, at least two parts of the pagan trinity in different religions throughout the world, throughout antiquity. These are just some. These aren't the all. These aren't all. Jupiter was another name for Tammuz. Mother was Fortuna. The prophet. Okay, so then we um, we go back to this commentary of this um, pastor. The prophet being returned toward the northern gate of the temple, we're going back to Ezekiel, where he had seen the image of jealousy. Um, in Ezekiel 8.14, there saw the women lamenting for Tammuz. Now, we haven't got to that verse yet, but there were women there lamenting for Tammuz in the temple of Jerusalem. Okay, that's how bad things had gotten. We're going to look at that verse soon. Now, Tammuz, all agree, signifies Adonis. It, it was that therefore, it was that therefore which was called the image of jealousy. And the woman represented as worshiping him in Ezekiel were probably adulteresses and had suffered through the jealousy of their husbands. And this worship of the image of jealousy provoked God to jealousy to destroy this bad people. At least that was part of the reason he ended up destroying them. So it's a little complicated, but when you start looking at it, it's like, wow, I understand why God did this. I mean, it had gotten so bad, they had brought the highest level idolatry right into the holy temple in Jerusalem, where the Holy of Holies was. I mean, it's pretty bad when you're doing that. So Ezekiel 8, 14 then says, And behold, the glory of God of Israel was there, according to the vision that I saw in the plain. Then said he unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes the way toward the north, and behold, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry. So there was an image of this jealousy, which was either, it was pro most likely, I think it was probably Tammuz. Okay? Because I'm not, I mean, Adonis. 
it was also dependent upon time frame because this is around 600 bc and i think it would have been a higher likelihood that it might have been more tammuz but i, I don't know I'm, I'm speculating it was it was either it was probably either had to do with tammuz or adonis but the thing is is they is the women were in the temple worshiping tammuz so it would be a much higher likelihood that this was an image of tammuz this image of jealousy than adonis because I think if it was Adonis, they would say the women were worshiping Adonis. Y you see what I'm saying? Anyway, I'm not going to be beyond dogmatic about that. Just speculation. Anyway, so that was the first thing that was going on. There was this image of jealousy, this basically idol in the entryway of the temple that was, you know, grieving God. Ezekiel 8, 6. And he said, furthermore unto me, son of man, seest thou what they do? Even the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary, but turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. So he's taking um, Ezekiel into progressive areas of the temple, further and further into the temple, showing him greater abominations every single time that he takes him another step into the temple, because there's different levels to the temple. Okay, so what i did is i gave you a map here okay in fact i'm gonna move it up here a little bit i gave you a map of the interior design of jerusalem's temple the way it was laid out okay so you can get an idea of what we're talking about here so you have the image of jealousy uh, i think is is the first thing we see and then the first place that you can go is you've got solomon's porch and then you've got the court of the gentiles and i think that's what we're going to be talking about next here ezekiel 8 5 then said he unto me okay no we already read that verse uh let's see okay so we already talked about you're going to see greater abominations and he brought me to the door this is verse 7 of the court and when i looked behold a hole in the wall now this is most likely see there were different courts in the temple there was the court of women which is the outer court there was the court of the gentiles which was the even outside of the outer court okay so there's different court areas in the temple this is what they're in reference to here he brought me to the door of the court and when i looked and behold a hole in the wall my comment this is regarding the court in the holy um Okay, well, I already already said that about the this is the this is the court in the holy temple, the tabernacle of Jerusalem that we're in reference to here. And then he said unto me, Son of man, dig in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold a door. And then he said unto me, Go in, behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So I went in and saw, and I saw, and behold every form of creeping things and abominable be abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. Now this. Because of the progression, I would say this has to be the court of the Gentiles because this was the first court you would enter as you entered into the temple. You've got Solomon's porch, then you got the court of the Gentiles. So this is where he went in and he beheld every form of creeping things. This is the outermost uh, layer of the temple, the outermost area. Every form of creeping thing, abominable beasts, all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. So they had all these, I don't know, pictures and 
things of all these things they worshipped. This is how bad it had gotten. And how little fear of God they had. They would actually do this in the temple of God. And there stood before me 70 men of the ancients of the house of Israel. And in the midst of them stood Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand. Meaning incense censer like the popes have. And a thick cloud of incense went up. Now I'm not saying that's unbiblical in this application. It's unbiblical in the way they're doing it. But they did use incense in the Old Testament in the temple. But they were doing it in a very ungodly manner. Okay. They were doing it. They were burning incense on idols and, you know, all these abominable things. So this is what was going on in the court of the Gentiles. Then he said unto me, son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in his chambers of his imagery. For they say, the Lord seeth us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. And this is how a lot of people feel, I think, right now that are, let's say, I don't know, pseudo-Christians, backslidden Christians, Christians that are um, strayed from God, like prodigal sons. A lot of them may feel that way. The, the, the Lord doesn't see me. The Lord has forsaken the earth. You can look around and see all the evil and say, oh, the Lord doesn't care anymore or whatever. Yes, he does. He cared back then. He cared back then. He cares now. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. So you don't want to ever take God lightly. You don't want to ever be weary and well-doing. You don't ever want to quit or turn your back and draw back to perdition like the Bible talks about in Hebrews. Draw back into damnation. It says that. Okay? You don't want to not be an overcomer because only the overcomers are going to, you know, well, I said that little prayer. Now I've lived like the devil ever since. Well, you're not an overcomer and you're not saved because... You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance, all these things. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, that should be manifesting through you as a Christian. Now, I'm not saying we walk around in sinless perfection. I'm not saying that we can't backslide ever or, or, or get off track or, you know, Lord knows I have. So I'm not judging anybody. But if you're his child, he's always going to bring you back. Of whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, meaning if you're his kid, he can spank you, he can discipline you. Of whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth, and if you be without chastisement, then you're a bastard. So if you are calling yourself a Christian and living whatever way you want to live, and there's no chastisement of God on your life, you're not saved. You need to get saved. Because the Holy Spirit should be there to convict you and to chastise you if you're his kid. And that's just the way it is. So, going forward here, next verse, 13. And he said unto me, turn ye that again, turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. So we went through the court of the Gentiles, the outermost court. They're literally worshiping all abominable things and burning incense to them. You got 70 guys there doing this, and, and this is literally in the temple of God now. I mean, you, you got to be crazy. 70 men of the ancients of the house of Israel. These, these guys were, were like high up in the, probably the Levitical priesthood. They were doing this. And this is how delusional the church can get. You look at what's going on today in a lot of the 501c3 churches, the abominations they let go on. You've literally got some pastors now that are going out blessing abortion clinics, letting all manner of 
wickedness and evil come into the church. All manner of worldly stuff come into the church. Yoking up with the government with their 501c. Reading false Bible versions. Watered down, leavened false Bible versions. Or maybe bringing extra biblical things in. All the stuff going on. You've got literally the clergy response teams that are yoked up with FEMA. And there's thousands of these pastors that are literally yoked up with FEMA. And their sole responsibility is to basically spy on their congregation. And when the things go down, to herd their congregation and tell them, okay, get, get your, come here, get your mass vaccines and get on the train and be, a, and be um, true to the Bible and to Romans 13 and do whatever the government tells you to do because they always have to be a force for good. When that verse only applies if they're a force for good. And our government is not a force for good overall. And FEMA sure isn't. You got the FEMA death camps and all this other stuff. And those sellout pastors are going to be instructing their congregants to get on those buses or those rail rail cars and take your vaccines and do whatever the government tells you to do. And they're and the ones that don't show up, are, they're going to probably direct them, well, here's their address, here's their whatever. I know all this about them. Because they think it's going to save their own hide. Or they think that they're being, you know, good little Nazis spying on the congregation. And you're never going to get a pastor to admit he's part of this because you, you, if you're part of the clergy response team, you've signed all these agreements with the government to not disclose it. You don't believe it? Just key in clergy response in the keyword search box. I've done tons of studies on this. The 800-pound gorilla in the 501c3 church room that virtually no 501c3 pastor will talk about. Now, some of them maybe don't know about it. I'm not saying they all know about it and they're all part of it. I'm not saying all 501c3 pastors are bad, but they're in a system that is, it's like they're all on the same train track going to a one world religion. The 501 system will be the backbone of that, the corporate church. And they're going to have to get off at some point. And to me, the sooner they get off, the better. It's going back to home churches which is the way it started out, which is the way it probably should have never veered from. There's no Bible for denominations either. Show me that in the Bible. It condemns it. One saith I am of Paul. One saith I am of Apollos. Is Christ divided? That's what the Bible says. Oh, I, Paul got me saved. Well, well, uh, that guy got me saved. Well, I'm in a better camp than you. He's a better disciple. Peter got me saved. So this is how denominations get started. It's division. I guarantee you Jesus would have never put up with that if he was around when all that was going on. He would have said, no, we are one body under one Christ, one Jesus. There's no room for abomination. You've got like, I've heard it's like 30 some plus thousand different quote christian denominations which one's right so i tell people all i call myself is a bible believing born again christian that's it you know no denomination i've been in a lot god's showed me a lot of different ones lutheran grew up totally new age lutheran middle school catholic high school totally grew up like my mom gave money to play in parenthood 
hardcore charismatic Pentecostal to the most strict sect of independent fundamental King James only unincorporated Baptist church. I've been, to, man, I have run the gamut. And I think that that's why God brought me into ministry because I kind of have a unique perspective that most people don't have. So anyway, and hopefully I can help you. Okay, so let's go forward here. He said unto me, turn ye that again and see greater abominations that they do. And he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat woman, women weeping for Tammuz. And this is why they believe this image of jealousy would be the image of Tammuz. Because they weren't weeping for Adonis. Even though they're one and the same, but they're different time eras. And they're different ways, they're a little bit different ways they're portrayed. It's just funny, they, they both died in their 40th year by a boar attack. Huh, it's because it's the same story recycled. You'll see that. There'll be slight variations, but they just recycle the same pagan trinity story over and over. Most of the time. Now, my comment. This had to be the outer court known as the court of women. Okay, you look at that diagram I put up there. There's a court of women. Okay. This is as far as women, women would have been allowed to go in the temple of God. Okay, it's a court of women. They were weeping for Tammuz. Uh, it's also known as the outer court. December 25th is known as the nativity of the sun and the birth date of Tammuz, who pagans believe is the reincarnation of the sun god Nimrod, who was also his dad. The Christmas tree is the sacred tree of the winter stag god. Druids believe the spirit of their gods resided in the tree, in this Christmas tree. So if you bring a Christmas tree into your house, you're basically bringing in something that represents um, a phallic symbol because the pagans looked upon the tree as a phallic symbol and they believed the spirit of their gods resided in the tree. So there is a huge spiritual component when you bring a Christmas tree into your house and it's a very demonic thing that you don't want to have anything to do with. Learn not the way of the heathen. So let's just go to that verse real quick. Hear ye the word of the Lord, um, which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. So this is, again, an admonishment to Israel by God. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. Meaning, don't get into astrology and all that stuff. For the heathen are dismayed at them. For the custom of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest... The work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. And they deck it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers that it move not. Okay, so a lot of people have interpreted this as being potentially a Christmas tree. You could also interpret it possibly as a as an idol. Okay, but it says here that they cutteth a tree out of the forest. The workmen with the axe. And then it just, it doesn't say that they, they do anything more to it. It just says they deck it with gold and silver. Well, then that would be a Christmas tree. Now, if it said they, they if it said, then they take it the wood and, and whatever. It doesn't say that though, in this particular application, it says they deck it and deck the halls with balls of, oh, you know, the whole thing. Well, they deck it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers that it move not. And again, that's Jeremiah one verses one through four. So a little more, a little more for you there. 
I probably got more negative feedback over Christmas than just about anything I've ever put out. It doesn't matter really how much I put out. Just not so much lately. It's getting to the point where the, the information's so overwhelming that most of my listeners that are still with me, they're typically not going to really give me a lot about I mean, I've done a whole study on it. It's impossible to refute. You go to the witches, you see what they say about it. These are all pagan holidays. Every one of them. They've been that way from antiquity. The pagans laugh at us when we celebrate them. Valentine's Day and Ishtar and Christmas and all this stuff. They just laugh at us because it's their holidays that have been amalgamated firstly by the Catholic Church. And then they Christianize them and put some Christian veneer on them so it would be palatable to the Christians. But they're always pagan. They always will be. So, uh, going forward here. Most ancient pagans knew that the Christmas tree represented Nimrod reincarnated into Tammuz because they believed Tammuz is the reincarnation of Nimrod. So the tree was representative of that. Okay. Pagans viewed the tree as a phallic symbol as well. Almost every single thing they do in Christmas, all the traditions, the, the wreath represents the female anatomy, the Christmas tree represents the male anatomy. When you put, when you put candles on a wreath, it represents the phallus uniting with the, with the female anatomy and the whole nine yards. I mean, it's, just, it's one big fertility, evil, pagan, perverted mess. I get all into that in my study on Christmas. Just key that Christmas in the keyword search box. At the website, contendingfortruth.com. Verse 15. And then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Turn ye that again, and thou shalt see greater abominations than these. So see, God's progressing here. And he brought me into the inner court of the, of the Lord's house. Okay, now this is where only like the big time priests could go. This is, the, this is right outside of the Holy of Holies. Before you get there. And behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar were about five and 20 men. So you had 70 men on Solomon's porch, burning incense to the abominations. And then in the outer court, you had the women weeping for Tammuz. And then you got 25 guys. This is all taking place at the same time, evidently. In the inner court, behold, at the door of the temple, between the porch and the altar, are 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. They worshipped the sun towards the east. So they were literally engaging in sun worship. Right outside of the Holy Holies. And their backs were turned to the Holy of Holies. They were facing away from the Holy of Holies. Literally representative of turning their backs on God. Where God's spirit dwelt. Man. You had to be about flat out of your mind to do something like that right outside of the holy of holies i mean unless they send like a priest like once a year into the holy of holies and if he had any sin on his life they put a they put a rope around his leg around his ankle and a bell and if you heard the bell stop jingling you know he'd been struck dead because when you were in the presence of god if you had any sin in your life you were dead if you went into the holy of holies That's what they did. That's well known. I've heard that that over and over again. And these these cats had the the audacity to turn their backs on the holy of holies and worship the sun. Man, you had to be out of your mind. You talk about demon possessed of the toenails. 
Well, what is that? What is an Ishtar, I mean an Easter sunrise service? A real one. The congregation is facing toward the sun. You have it outside. The congregation is facing toward the sun as the sun rises. Perfect. Ishtar? The pagan holiday? Oh no, it's, it's representative of the birth of the resurrection of Christ. No, it's not. That's not what Ishtar is about. It has nothing to do with that. It's sun worship. That's what an Easter sunrise service is. So I'd highly recommend you never go to one of them. Learn something new every day. Next verse. Can you see why God's a little mad? If, if you just skim through this chapter, you might not be picking up on all this. But you can see why he's a little mad now. Because, see, I'm saying all this to get to the next chapter. Verse 17. Then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence and have returned to provoke me to anger. And lo, they put their branch to the nose. Commentary by this pastor, Adam Clark. What does this, they put their branch to the nose mean? This is supposed to mean some branches or branches that they carried in succession in honor of the idol, of an idol in which they covered their faces or which they inhaled ple a pleasant smell, the branches being odiferous, meaning they had an odor, a pleasant smelling odor. Uh, the heathens carried branches of trees in their sacred ceremonies, and this is well known to persons acquainted with classic antiquity. And it is probable that the heathen borrowed those from the use of such branches in the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. It really seems at this time, the Jew, remember, Satan's always trying to knock off stuff. Incense burning, this that they're in reference to, the pagan trinity. It really seems at this time the Jews had incorporated every species of idolatry in their impure worship, both Phoenician, Egyptian, and Persian, and had brought it into the most holy temple on the planet. Absolutely out of their minds to do this. Talk about doing everything they could do possible to provoke God. And only God knows what was going on outside the temple. Guaranteed they were in child sacrifice if they were doing this. If they were that demon possessed. But see, we're, we're not too far off. I think in a lot of the churches. Granted, in a lot of the churches, this is going on. They're literally satanists in the pulpit and they're literally killing and sacrificing children and sacrificing animals and doing all kind of witchcraft ceremonies in the church that's going on not in every church but in a lot so next verse ezekiel last verse actually ezekiel eight eighteen. therefore i will also deal in fury mine eye shall not spare neither will i have pity and though they cry in mine ears with a loud voice, yet I will not hear them. If you go to Jeremiah 7, 11, and 14, and you read those chapters, you will see that there are times in the Bible where God says, do not pray for this people, for I will not hear their prayer. The Bible alludes to that also in 1 John chapter 5, where it talks about the sin, if, if you see a brother sin a sin, unto death you do not pray for it. and i don't exactly know what the sin unto death is it's not really clear but if you look at jeremiah 7 11 and 14 and read those chapters 
which are which are three other places in the Bible where God says, don't pray for that because I won't hear your prayer. Well, what had happened in all three instances is that this, basically, you had brought, they were making cakes to the queen of heaven, probably hot cross buns to the queen of heaven. This was way before Mary, but I know in Jeremiah, you know, in those verses in Jeremiah, that was one of the things that they were doing. They were bringing that in church, into the church. They were bringing idolatry into the church. This was going on in the church, this type of thing. And they were also sacrificing their children to like Moloch and Shemosh and these types of deities, which God said, which I never told them to do, nor had I had it ever entered into my mind. Now I'm paraphrasing some of this stuff, but I think I'm getting it right. So when a society or a church in particular gets to the point where they're condoning child sacrifice, and bringing all manner of pagan idolatry into the church. Think about our churches and what's going on in a lot of them. Well, then God will get to a point where he will say, do not pray for this people anymore, for I will not hear you. They've crossed the line. They've made their bed. Now they're going to lie in it. That's what he's clearly saying here. It's clear as this is not a gray area at all. Now, what gets you to that point, you know, that's between you and God, but I think we're looking at Ezekiel 8, which is what I just read. And there's, a, and if you want to know more, well, just you want know, to know more about what gets you there. Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 11, Jeremiah 14, Ezekiel 8. If you want to know what gets you to the point where God will say, don't pray for this people anymore. <coughs> Excuse me. I will not hear you. Those are four great chapters in the Bible to study. And, and that'll give you a real good idea. Because God says in the last verse here of Ezekiel 8 and 18, Therefore I will deal in fury, mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity. And though they cry in mine ear with a loud voice, yet I will not hear them. They cross the line, forget it, it's over. So now, God's mind's made up. Okay? So let's see what happens. Next chapter. Ezekiel 9, 1, he cried also in my ear with a loud voice saying, cause them that have charge over the city to draw near. Even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. Now you're like, what do you mean? Men, these are angels, okay? Who are always represented in the Bible when they manifest in physical form as men, okay? That's how they're represented, when they appear in the Bible to other men, their representative typically is good-looking men. I mean, you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the two angels that went to Lot to warn him, and they were really good-looking dudes, and so much so that the, the uh, men of the city wanted to have sex with them. So much so that the angels struck them with blindness, yet they still groped at the door trying to have sex with them. That's how perverted it had gotten Sodom and Gomorrah. You're not too far off that in San Francisco. They're literally, literally giving out free needles uh, now to the people. You can literally poop on the sidewalk and they've got whole cleaning crews out there now to clean up all the poop on the sidewalk from all the homeless people and all the heroin addicts and all the drug addicts now. They've got poop maps where you can find out where the worst places are, where there's the most feces everywhere. And this is progressive, gay-friendly San Francisco. Not too far off from Sodom and Gomorrah. And you look at what New York City just did. 
Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. No, those are men. No, they're not. Stay tuned. Ezekiel 9.2 And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north. And every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. These were death angels, essentially. Now, granted, they were angels in charge of the city. But in this application, their mission was going to be death. Not all angels are associated with that, I think. But I think they can have that as an assignment. So in other words, what does this show us? This shows us that cities, not only do they have demonic principalities that try to rule over them, but they also have holy principalities. And what better city to really think of this about than Jerusalem, you know, the apple of God's eye, city of David. Six men came from the way of the higher gate and they had a slaughter weapon in, in their hands. And one man among them was clothed with, clothed with linen with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. Now the brazen altar is in the inner court. You can see that on the map of the diagram that I gave you. It's where the 25 men were worshiping the sun. They had their backs turned toward the Holy of Holies. That's where these angels uh, were at. So there was one of the six which had a writer's inkhorn. He was clothed in linen, had a writer's inkhorn by his side. Now you heard John mention that in his teaching. Okay. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. And then you had... I think five of them had a slaughter weapon in their hand. And the glory of the Lord of Israel was gone up from the cherub. The cherub was the cherub on the Holy of Holies. It's, it's, it's over shadows. The Holy of Holies. Okay. The Ark of the Covenant inside the Holy of Holies. And it said the glory of the Lord of Israel was gone up from the cherub. So I think the glory of the Lord had departed from the cherub at that point because of all the abominations going on. Whereupon he was to the threshold of the house, and he called to the man clothed with linen, God did, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, this is one of the angels. Now, this is the one with the inkhorn. This is the one you wanted to see, okay? This is, this is the angel you, you really wanted to show up, or you were dead. He said to that one, he said unto him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And I got this same verse in the same, basically the same day by two different listeners. Right in the midst of all the stuff going on with New York City and them glorying in their shame and them lighting up the One World Trade Center and hold bridges, all these different bridges up and because to celebrate the, the right of, of a woman to kill her child up to the time of birth and all of these cackling witches in this legislative house and the men that were there all cheering and happy and in in cheering satan on because this legislation passed what kind of sick twisted maggots are we dealing with here so i'm trying to relate this to our present day i'm going to go back and forth relating this to present day Set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And, you know, I, I really wonder if 
this same dynamic is going to take place in the today and time we're living in. All I can tell you is that I, this same verse, I got it two times from two different people in the same day, right after all the stuff happened with New York City. So I feel like this is a warning from God regarding all of this. And to the others, he said in mine hearing, go, and then the others, the other five with the slaughter weapons in their hands, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, I want, I want you to understand exactly what's going on here. Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither ye have pity. Slay utterly, old and young, both maids and the little children and the women. And you could say, well, it's not their fault. They were defiled. Their parents were not... Um, their parents had defiled themselves so much I believe they had defiled their own bloodline to the point where it was almost like when they had to go into the promised land and kill every man, woman, children even the animals because everything had been so defiled unless everything was wiped out living essentially that that defilement was going to spread if like a cancer if you let it go God did this in his mercy and yes in his fury but he also did it in his mercy so that this would not spread any further. He had to wipe, he had to do the same thing Noah's day. He had to wipe out the whole planet. Everything had been defiled. All everybody's DNA had been defiled, most likely. Man's eye, man's heart was only upon evil continually, it said, because of the Nephilim. So slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men, which were before the house. So who did they begin with? They began, I believe, with those 25 devils that were in there with their backs turned to the Holy of Holies. Their backs were facing the Holy of Holies. That's where they started because that was the biggest abomination out of anything going on. That was ground zero. They started there and went out. The five slaughtering angels. This is not the angel with the ink horn. And he said unto them, defile the house and fill the courts with the slain. Go ye forth. And they went forth and slew in the city. Now, there was a comment that said, now this uh, this year that this takes place is basically around, according to historical records, 594 BC. So this was 594 years essentially before Christ was born. When this happened in Ezekiel in Jerusalem, the first slain were the sun worshiping priests referred to in the previous chapter, in chapter Ezekiel eight, which we just read. Apparently, the directive to begin at the sanctuary was intended to imply that that was the seat of the worst sins. This should certainly be a warning to religious leaders of all generations. Yeah, I agree. And then it goes further. And he said unto them, defile the house, Ezekiel 9.7. This was accomplished by their courts, by filling their courts. This is like the inner court, the outer court, the court of the Gentiles. Filling these very courts in the holy temple of Jerusalem with dead bodies. It... If to touch a corpse and then to worship 
without being sprinkled with water of separation was to defile the tabernacle of the Lord, according to Numbers 19.13, how much more would the blood of corpses do so? Because they had to get the corpses out of there. God was basically like, okay, you want to be defiled? I'll show you defiled. You want to be like the dog that returns to his own vomit? And like the pig washing and the mire wallowing in the mud? I'll, I'll let you have it. I'll give you hellfire. I'll give you defilement. I'll give you everything you want. In one fell swoop. But it's not going to be the way you wanted it. Ezekiel 9.8 And it came to pass while they were slaying them, these five angels, and I was left that I fell upon my face and cried and said, Ah, Lord God, will thou destroy all the residue of Israel in thy pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem? Now, obviously, everybody in Israel wasn't in Jerusalem. But it was ground zero for the wickedness that was going on. Verse 9. Then he, meaning God, said unto me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And the land is full of blood. And I think that that is alluding to, yes, they were sacrificing their children. They had to have been. They obviously weren't doing the sacrifices the way that they were supposed to. The daily sacrifices and all that. That had gone by the wayside a long time ago. Come on, look at what they were doing in the outer inner in the court of the Gentiles. You think they were keeping with all the stuff they were told to do in like Leviticus and Numbers and stuff? Like, like, like the Levitical priesthood? No, 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 no. They were sacrificing their children, guaranteed. Because when God judges like this, there's always child sacrifice. And he confirms it here. When he says that the land is full of blood, well, isn't America full of blood from all the abortion clinics? You know, and all the abortions that have went place, took place. And the city is full of perverseness. For they say the Lord hath forsaken the earth and shall not see. So it seems like the source of all of this is that people had so self-deluded themselves where they got in their own mind thinking there is no God. He doesn't see us. We can do whatever we want. That's how insane they were and deluded in their own mind and demon-possessed. As for me also, mine eye shall not spare, neither will I have pity, but I will recompense their way upon their head. They crossed the line. And behold, the man clothed with linen, which had an inkhorn by his side, reported the matter, saying, I have done as thou hast commanded me. Meaning that the angel with the inkhorn reported back to God and said, okay, God, I've done as you've told me to do. And that was it. Okay, so if you want to see how this turns out, read Ezekiel 10. I don't have time. I mean, I've got such a huge study to get through, but it, it's there's more judgment um, on Jerusalem. It's like a continuation of the ninth chapter. And, um, yeah. <laughs> Whew. Anyway. So, I wanted to go over those verses. And... Here are just some of the new headlines that I've released this week. The left just legalized murdering their own children in New York. Do you really think they won't murder Christians and conservatives next? I mean, ultimately, they're coming for anybody with any kind of moral morality to them at all. Next report. Here is the name of the human... Uh, child murderers in the New York Senate who passed the bill to legalize infanticide. So if you want to know the actual names, 
Oh, as far as a prayer thing goes, I give you that link. Uh, here's another one. Virginia governor openly advocates for post-birth abortions. Now, we've already talked about this a little bit. Governor Virginia Governor Ralph Northam, Democrat, commented Wednesday about a controversial 40-week abortion bill. And in doing so, he said the law allows an abortion to take place after the infant's birth. Yep. That's where we're heading. Unless God intervenes, unless there's mass prayer and fasting, I believe. Next report. Born alive abortions. Days after Governor Cuomo signs extreme baby killing bill, Democrats in Virginia and Rhode Island want to exact similar laws. Now the Democratic governors of both Virginia and Rhode Island are saying that they will sign bills that do everything that the New York... Um, act does and then go a few steps further in 2019 the democratic party has rebranded itself as the merchant of death party by making the mind-numbing leap from abortion of pre-born babies in the womb to slicing their throats after they're born alive and healthy and this is what the the patriot nurse was was um ranting and raving about and she had every right to about that exact thing okay now we're going to watch a video called the truth behind the new radical abortion laws In 2014, undercover investigators from the Human Capital Project posed as a fetal tissue procurement company. They met with several senior members of Planned Parenthood who explained to them on a hidden camera the business of selling human infant body parts. They explain how even though there is a market for every body part, including the lower extremities, Specific organs are in greater demand, especially the liver. They explain how they schedule abortions. Now, they're showing the footage of them saying this in their undercover uh, undercover footage, okay? They're, they're showing it in the background. You're not hearing the words, but you're seeing what they're saying on screen as he's talking. Just so if you want to watch, it's only like a five-minute video. It's probably only three or four, actually. But if you want to see this and see what they're saying, you can. it's right here to specific body part demands and they explain how Planned Parenthood abort babies using ultrasound so they can preserve the body's most valuable organs for sale oh it says and for most this it shows this witch devil talking with a glass of wine in her hand and she said that's and for that reason most providers most abortion providers will do this case meaning abort the baby under ultrasound guidance so they'll know where they're putting the forceps meaning they don't want to damage the product they don't want to damage the baby any of the um, internal organs they're going to be selling so they want to know exactly where they're they're not not for the mother's safety but so that they know they're not damaging any of the organs because they're going to sell them these are merchants of death Tens of thousands of dollars can be made by selling the harvested organs from each aborted human child. And while negotiating on the price of body parts... So you have fetal brains, payments from researchers, customer to procurement businesses. Fetal brains, one each, $3,340. Human fetal tissue, uh, 10 at $595 each. Upper and lower limbs with the hands and feet. $890. Baby's skull matched to the upper and lower limbs. $595. Fetal brains. $2,230. And 
mean, this is so evil and macabre, I, I, I can't even comprehend. You, you can't even imagine how much Planned Parenthood is actually made. They're making money so different, many different ways off this wickedness. You can't even imagine. Planned Parenthood's Medical Directors Council President, Dr. Mary Gatter, joked about how she is working towards a Lamborghini. You know, in negotiations, a person who throws out the figure first got a loss, right? So, <laughs> I want a Lamborghini. She said, I want a Lamborghini. This, this devil witch, Mary Gatter, of the Medical Directors Council President, Planned Parenthood Federation of America. I mean, these, I'll tell you, these women, it's mostly women, they are, they're, they've taken evil to a whole other level. They're like those women that were in the, um, the outer court in the temple weeping for Tammuz. I mean, they're, I, they're right there. I mean, they're right there, if not worse. You, you can't even comprehend this level of wickedness and evil. <laughs> she said, I want a Lamborghini, and they're all laughing because that's, you know, that's what her goal was. Partial birth abortion is a federal felony. And killing a fetus extracted intact and alive during an abortion is homicide. Planned Parenthood senior director said that these laws are up to interpretation. <laughs> and medical director, Dr. Deshaun Taylor, after joking about how her biceps get a good workout by performing abortions. My, my biceps appreciate the <laughs> says that it depends on who is in the room when they decide upon performing the illegal partial birth abortions. So they got to pay attention to who's in the room if they're going to do a par partial birth abortion because if you got somebody in there that might be a, not on board or tattletale or whatever, you got to be a little careful when you're doing this. I mean, you, you can't even... This is so wicked and evil. These are serious crimes. And so Planned Parenthood fought back by attacking the investigators with lawsuits. They claimed that the videos had been heavily and deceptively <laughs> edited. Please. But on January 17th, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals confirmed that the videos were undoctored. The court noted that an independent forensic firm's review of the undercover footage found that the video was authentic and not deceptively edited. Planned Parenthood is profiting from the illegal sale of human body parts, and they stand to make a much greater profit if they can provide living human tissue, which is precisely why the state of New York has legalized abortion up until birth. And it is why Planned Parenthood has paid out $2 million to Virginia Governor Ralph Northam and he was the one that said that you should oh, oh i didn't even know this until now because sometimes i'll i know to play a video and i'm listening to it in the background but i'm not catching everything this same devil maggot that said that you know the mother can deliver the baby we'll keep it comfortable and then we can basically abort it this same virginia governor was paid two million dollars from planned parenthood so he's got two million reasons and that's probably only one of the payoffs your hard-working tax money at work to pay off soulless maggots like this. I mean, does it make sense now? I mean, why they want this abortion up till, up till birth? Not only can they kill a lot more babies, but they'll have 
when you have a fully fully formed baby, it's worth a lot more money. They can get a lot more for the organs. When you, I mean, as opposed to getting organs from the like fourth week when they're tiny, 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 as opposed to like the ninth month or a fully formed baby, then we're talking big money. So that's why Planned Parenthood's so thrilled over this over this legislation passing in New York City and then and now all of, or in New York and now all of these other states want to enact it too but now they're going to want to enact it where they're they're aborting them after birth too is now pushing the limits even further do you believe that you should have a say in what type of society you live in do you want to live in a society that openly feeds off of its young for NewsWars.com, this is Greg Reese. So we have that. Oh, man. Oh, the subject is just so beyond horrific. You can't even comprehend this. Related, uh, related headlines. Just this week, forsaking God, liberals try to legalize murder of infants just to be born. They remove God from the oath. Um... I think it's that so help you God thing that you do in the courtrooms. Now they've taken that out in some places. They don't say so help you God anymore. They're teaching kindergartners that there are 15 genders uh, without parental improvement. They don't need your parental improvement. I mean, they're, they're teaching kindergartens all kind of ungodly stuff. Next report, uh, Texas bill threatens to ban Christianity and biblical teachings anywhere outside a church building. Um, the comment was flood the Texas attorney general's office with complaints the next step will be to ban christians and promote islam on a state level yeah that's where this is all heading uh next one vile pure evil nbc promotes the underage drag kids special now they're they're bringing that out more and more shock video bill mayer openly endorses pedophilia as love uh next one satan's handmaidens give a standing ovation that's what happened in new york city when they passed when cuomo signed the bill then another one silence is deafening not a single Democrat speaks out against infanticide. Uh, please ask New York State to overturn recent abortion expansion laws. So that's all we have for part two. I'm out of time and we will go to part three next. God bless you.